Welcome to episode 17 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. Today's guest has spent the last five years raising awareness of and creating community for couples dealing with infertility. What started as an anonymous blog chronicling her own journey to parenthood through the wonders of science has grown into an internationally recognized powerhouse within the online infertility community. My guest has become known as a leading infertility and women's health writer. Her writing and her story has appeared in Red Book Magazine, The Huffington Post, Disney Baby, among many other publications. She's received several awards, recognizing her tireless advocacy for both infertility-sensitive legislation and cultural empowerment for infertility patients. Her short film, What If? A Portrait of Infertility, received a Best Viral Video Award from Resolve, the National Infertility Association. As a consultant, my guest helps her clients craft compelling narratives that ignite conversation and inspire action. She's also director of brand strategy at Fertility Planet and news writer for Romper.com, a new website for millennial moms. Please join me in welcoming Keiko Zoll. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Robbie. Keiko, I really appreciate you speaking with me from Salem, Massachusetts. I want to jump right in. I know my guests sure. will be uh, curious to hear a little bit more about you and your day-to-day, but this is a podcast about leadership and building great networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you, and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I think I realized that I had, to, I had the skills to lead when I was in fifth grade, and my friends um, let me form a Star Trek club with them, and they let me be Captain Picard. So I was like, oh, sweet, I'm, I'm in the captain's chair, awesome. Um, <laughs> no, but in, um, in all seriousness, um, I think that finding out that I had the skills to lead has been kind of an, an evolutionary process, like these continuous revelations that just kind of get reinforced um, throughout my personal and professional life. I can tell you what leadership isn't. Um, it isn't, you know, ordering people around. It isn't taking credit for the work of your team. Um, and it isn't about doing everything yourself, which I think sometimes people think is what leadership is, but it really isn't. Um, for me, leadership is being able to delegate effectively to your team while still pulling your own weight and not just sitting back and let everybody else do it. Um, I think leadership is very strongly tied to being able to take risks for the sake of your team, mm. for the sake of your project or your objective. Um, and then in terms of, you know, doing it yourself, it's not about being a control freak. It's about leadership is about using your best talents and strengths and skills to motivate and inspire others to do their best and use their best talents and strengths and skills. So well, that's what this I see. sounds great. I mean, you just named all the ways I, I would like leaders to be. How did you <laughs> how did you first come to realize that you had some of those skills? I think a lot of it started actually rooted in my personal infertility journey. Like I, I so I was always like a theater geek. I did chorus and music and all this stuff. 
And so I was very comfortable getting up in front of people and just, you know, doing my, my showbiz thing, so to speak. And I think I just kind of naturally thought to myself, okay, you know, I've got this comfort in front of others that, you know, I can kind of lead and do this. And I did um, trainings and workshops when I was uh, working in higher education. And I was like, yeah, I'm a leader. This is it. But it really didn't, I think, hit home until I had to get to a point in my life where I was literally knocked as low as I could go emotionally and personally. And that was after my infertility diagnosis in 2009. And so just to give a little a little history, so my husband and I had only been married for just over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I are high school sweethearts. And we weren't even trying to uh, get pregnant. It was just another medical issue brought this particular infertility diagnosis to light. And it was absolutely devastating because it challenged yeah, I'm sure. everything it, it challenged everything that I knew of and thought about myself and so I was just totally knocked down and then I started this what I like to call my, my original rinky dink infertility blog and after about a year of writing I had created this short video what if a portrait of infertility and you know I thought it was just going to be like the 29 blog followers that I had were going to be, be the people that saw it and yeah since then, it's had over like a half a million views, and it's it's nuts that it took off. It's in really powerful. Way. I mean, I've seen it. I'm going to add a clip in the show notes so others can see it as well. It's it's very very powerful, and it's a beautiful way to also portray what is such a a raw emotion and such a personal story. But to make it so accessible to so many people, I think is why it did go viral. Yeah, it was just like, and it took me by surprise because I really wasn't expecting my story or the way that I portrayed my story through video and words, I didn't think it was going to have that kind of impact. Mm. And that was kind of like the first light bulb moment that went off that was like, I have the ability to affect other people. You know, I would get emails from literally people around the world that have seen my video, and I still do to this day, saying, you know, your video has meant so much for me, so much to me. Thank you for, you know, putting into words and images what I've been going through you know, your story has inspired me to share my story with others. And that was, that was huge. And it was, it's very, I'm still very humbled by it. Um, because I'm just like, you know, I'm just this, you know, random girl (laughs) posting her story about how she couldn't have kids. Um, and yet it, it managed to really inspire and motivate people in the ways that it has. And now it's it's become this whole online, uh, portal and community. What do you find most rewarding about the work that you're doing today? I think what I find most rewarding, and, and this is actually very selfish, I think, is there's a lot of personal fulfillment and healing that has come through this because I started my blog as a way to kind of work through my emotions going through this infertility experience. And then it blossomed into this much bigger kind of advocacy work that I was doing for the infertility community. And then very recently I relaunched um, the blog as an online magazine for the infertility community. And so it, it went from a single person's story to all of the stories within the community and kind of opening it up there and emphasizing the need to share those stories because they're valid and they're important. Wow. And, so what a way to take it from, from such a personal place to like this huge platform. And so you're healing yourself, but you're also creating opportunity for others to do that. Exactly. I mean, when I, when I was first diagnosed, I was, I, I had some real deep, dark moments in my life. And mm-hmm. 
Uh, for me, the healing was in just writing and writing and writing and getting it out there. And so then I realized, okay, I can help others. I can inspire others. I can empower others on their own infertility journeys. And seeing people do that, that was such a huge reward. That was part of the healing process. And I used to say that um, what I couldn't create in biology, I'll create in words and action instead. And yeah. so during that, that whole time where you know, we weren't in the process of, you know, doing treatment or anything. It was, what can I do to help this community? Because that's what I can output into this world if it isn't a biological child. You know, this is usually where I ask a question about challenges that people have faced and how they've overcome them. But you, your whole story is about a challenge that you faced and how you overcame it. But within that story, is there something like, you know, you, you obviously have a talent to write, but was there some something you did get over or overcome in order to make it a public statement or to make it a, like something more accessible? And um, like, how do you how do you go from this private little blog, you know, the steps on the way where there are challenges to like making that part of reality? Um, I think for me, the being able, so when I initially started my blog, I started anonymously. I didn't even write under my real name. And when I did this video was like when I came out basically (laughs) from the infertility closet Mm -hmm. and I started writing about, you know, under my own name, had my own face and all this. And I, I looked at it as when I shared my anonymous blog with some people that I knew, people started coming out of the woodwork and saying, I've been through this too. Mm -hmm. And infertility itself as an experience is a very, isolating and very lonely, despite the fact that, I mean, in the United States alone, it's like one in seven couples deal with infertility, Mm -hmm. but nobody ever really talks about it. So I saw this really empowering ability to be able to connect with other people who know people that have been through it. And so that's why I decided to go public. So what was hard Um, though, what were the tangible hard things? Like to go from this idea to, to, to today's reality Mm-hmm. Were there stumbling blocks or things you just didn't know how to do? You know, I think one of the, the biggest challenges that I have faced in my work, mm-hmm. which is, you know, my professional work, which is tied very much to my personal life, is this feeling of imposter syndrome. And like, you know, yeah, so what? I'm just another person who has infertility. Why does that matter? And making that matter in my work has been definitely a challenge to overcome because I think I lacked a ton of confidence in the validity of my experiences just because, you know, I don't have a graduate degree hanging on my office wall or, you know, a series of letters after my last name that doesn't make me any less of an expert in what I know and what I've been through. This imposter syndrome, um, as I've sort of gone into my business full time, I've also heard a lot of people talk about this and I think it's true. It's probably, um, you know, you're, it's, you're so good at naming the thing that tends to not be named. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a gift that you have, but yeah, that <laughs> imposter syndrome that just because I know this or I have this experience, why am I the expert that gets to share it and, um, right. and recognizing that people want to hear your story. In fact, they need to hear your story in order to be able to share their own. Um, so that, that's a, I could really appreciate that. So along the lines of that, um, when you're thinking about just the, the idea of being successful. So, so aside mm-hmm. from you telling your story, you, you have this consultancy business as well where, where you're doing marketing. Um, 
brand strategy, helping people like create these wonderful narratives. So trying to be successful there, there's always that fear that you're going to be wrong in some way Mm -hmm. or make mistakes or even fail. So maybe you could share a little bit about what you're not good at and, and how you deal with that. Sure. So I am like a textbook flighty Gemini, ENFP Myers-Briggs. So I'm like that totally spacey dreamer, like, why can't we all just be friends kind of person? (laughs) And I have very terrible math skills, which makes the business end of having your own business a pain. Mm. Um, God bless formulas in Excel. Um, But yeah, like I... um, Sometimes I just get so distracted by everything that I have going on that sometimes there are the emails that fall through the cracks and the things that I haven't followed up on. And I have finally gotten to a point now where I know that I need a million redundant systems to stay focused. And some people think, like, really, you need a written notebook and a Google Calendar reminder and a separate, like, Apple task reminder on your iPhone. Like it's nuts. I need to have all of these redundant systems in place just so that I stay focused and and stay on target. And I think the other thing, the other thing that is a weakness, but is also a strength for me is that I love the energy that comes with brainstorming and starting projects Mm -hmm. that sometimes it's really hard for me to let go and be done with them. (laughs) Um, or to move on to the, like, just the, okay, we're in maintenance phase. Like we don't need to keep building and redoing. Um, and that's especially, uh, prescient in my work as a a web and graphic designer. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta put the design down. I gotta say it's done and I gotta walk away. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard. That's really hard for me. Yeah. That's, that's, um, I can see that being really challenging. You know, it's really exciting in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're you're still like visioning everything, but at some point it is more of a maintenance phase, and you do just need to keep things kind of going along. But it sounds like you've created some solid uh, and even redundant systems to help you <laughs> figure that out. <clears throat> it's, it's important, I think, when we're thinking about leadership, it's important to know sort of what you're really, really, really good at, and how to share mm-hmm. that, and how to bring other people onto a team, or create the systems you need in order to to fill the support where you're not feeling as strong. Right. So is there a habit in particular that you are struggling to adopt into your life that would help you on this path? Um, taking more time for myself, believe it or not. Um, I kind of wear a very tall stack of hats at all times. And I'm, you know, I work from home, I'm a freelancer. So there's the challenge of always kind of being on the hustle while, uh, trying to raise a uh, a very rambunctious two and a half year old, <laughs> um, and I think one of the things that um, I really struggled to adopt was setting up a consistent schedule. And I think this is particularly important for freelancers or for anybody who works from home. Is that you know it's really easy to just kind of roll out of bed, be in the pajamas, and start working at ten thirty. But now that I you know I have a toddler and and uh, have just a number of different projects going on at one time. It's okay. I got to get up. I've got to get dressed. You know, I even put a little bit of makeup on so that I feel just a little bit more professional about my day. Um, you know, while at the same time, you know, dropping my child off at daycare, picking him up and, and scheduling all of that time. But one of the things that I really struggle with is, is scheduling time for myself just to just 
disconnect, you know, not have the TV on, not be checking my phone or my computer. So um, what, yeah. what does self-care look like then for you? And considering that, you know, life for you, work and life sort of um, have this kind of way of overlapping, being mm-hmm. that you work from home um, and you're, you know, trying to find time with your family. So what does the self-care for you look like? For me, self-care is really rooted in stillness. Um, when you have a toddler, you really appreciate the sound of silence sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Just having quiet is lovely. Um, I, I do love the time where I'm able to like be in the car and like I'll listen to NPR and I pretend like that's my adult conversation for the day when I, you know, I'm talking back to, you know, Tom Ashbrook on On Point. Nice. Um, but yeah, but for me, it's about finding stillness. And so like, I'm very stereotypical about some of my self-care, like being able to go get a pedicure or go get a massage or an acupuncture treatment, just something where everything comes to a full stop and I'm not focused on anything work or even family related. It's just me. It's very, I think it's very selfish self-care, but it's, it's not selfish to care for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been learning more and more lately about how, you know, just going for a 30-minute walk or having that 30-minute of meditation or quiet, mm-hmm. it's allowing our brains to catch up and be actually more creative where we're so inundated all the time. So it sounds like you, you know what you need to be doing. Maybe uh, this, <laughs> this interview can help you, you know, put that back on your task list to, to get a few more hours of that into uh, your life each week. Absolutely. But thinking about, um, so you and I know each other through New Leaders Council, and Mm -hmm. New Leaders Council was formed in 2005 in response, um, it's a progressive leadership training, and it was formed in response to sort of how the election went in 2004, and it has (laughs) grown exponentially. I was a fellow in 2011, and... In just those since then, it's gone up to I think it's over fifty chapters around the country, and right. it's not just in the blue states, which is the part of what I love about it. And it's a five month experiential um, institute. Uh, about eighteen people uh, get chosen, so a very diverse group of eighteen young professionals, roughly twenty five to thirty five, and leadership and progressive values are really broadly defined. So leadership in you could be running campaigns, you could be running for office, running a nonprofit, running a small business, you know, be a consultant, sort of et cetera. And progressive is also, you know, not along party lines, but just sort of right. thinking about a more positive world. So uh, tell me a little bit about your experience in this and how, how did that help your professional network? Because you now, you've been a little bit out of it. Um, and what, what led you to it and what, if, what has stayed with you? So I got involved with New Leaders Council because I knew at least three other people that had done it in their respective city chapters, and I'd been nominated twice by two different people. They're like, you should really do this. This is perfect for you. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Like, I had no idea what NLC was. And um, I was at a point where in 2012, I had been working for a full year as a freelancer, that very difficult, rough, Mm -hmm. uh, dry spell first year as a freelancer. And I was like, you know, this, at the very least, it could be a a great professional networking opportunity. You know, that's, that's the minimum that I'm going to walk out of here with, but I'm hoping to obviously build on all of the various, um, 
leadership skills that were uh, done or taught and, and workshop during the five months. And what it was interesting, I went in there feeling like I got into the Institute and I was like shocked because I was like, uh, okay, I just kind of have this infertility blog and this really fledgling consultancy and, you know, seven years of higher education experience that I thought had nothing to do with progressive leadership. So I was really struggling with imposter syndrome from like the first two sessions Wow! because I felt like, you know, I'm taking up the spot of somebody who clearly deserves this more than I do. By the time I left NLC, um, it had transformed me wow. <laughs> um, personally and professionally. Um, I volunteered to be one of the, um, the co-chairs of our fundraising event. I did and that. that. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah. You're like, yeah, that's great. Sure. And then by the end of like, thank God it's over. But it, it was, it pushed me in ways that I had not been pushed um, professionally before. And it allowed me to just truly rise to the occasion because if I didn't, it you know would affect the whole chapter. And I, I really, what really stayed with me was not only the diversity of the cohort of everybody's individual experiences, but how somebody who has the most completely opposite experience that I could think of is still a leader, is still making a difference for themselves in their work or in their communities, that we still had all of that as a unifying factor within our cohort, despite experiences. That absolutely stayed with me. And I think I realized that was when the light bulb went off that I was like, this is why networking matters because, you know, you might connect with somebody who has no relevance whatsoever it is that what you're doing or what that other person is doing, but there might be some commonality that propels both of you upward. Yeah. Um, and that was, that was huge for me to learn. And I'll, I'll be honest, your session on networking was like, was like a game changer for me because I hate, hate networking because I'm like total social awkward person in situations where I don't know people. Um, despite seeming so effervescent, like I said, I did theater for many years. Right. Um, and I think that it just, you know, it was so important for me to just come to the realization, like, you, you know, it's, it's the necessary evil. Like, even if you don't like it, you still have to do it. So that was, uh, definitely one of the lasting impressions. I wonder if I'll title this, you know, that the necessary evil, even if you don't like it, you'll still have to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I think you're you're getting at something though, um, and I'm, this is a you know called on the schmooze. That's the name mm -hmm. of the podcast, and the the session you're referring to is a session I do on a lot called Art of the Schmooze. And um, I also teach. A, I actually now a board member of NLC at Boston, and uh, I've been a trainer coming in and doing a training on fundraising, getting past the fear of asking every year, uh, the last few years. So, which is wonderful. Keeps me in touch with this amazing uh, cohort each year, as you said, these are people who sort of come in thinking that I take someone else's spot and then leave feeling mm. incredibly empowered. So yeah. I like uh, being part of that transformation. But um, just thinking about it's uh, networking is, is sort of a dirty word. Uh, yet <laughs> you're talking about relationship building, right? Right. Like you're, you had this aha moment that maybe it's about getting to know these people and realizing even though we're pretty different, we also can support each other and both benefit. Um, and so have you stayed in touch with people either from this or from other, like how does your professional network sort of um, developed over the last five years and, 
and how do you stay in touch with people? I think um, it's interesting. I would say over the last two years since I've been in NLC, my professional network is far more solid than it was five years ago because five years ago, that was 2010, so I was still just kind of, I had been discovered, if you will, on the internet, right? And I was like rising to viral internet fame. And I had no idea what I was doing. Like I had the like director of partnerships uh, call me from Resolve, the National Infertility Association. She's like, you know, we've seen your video. We love it. You know, we have a PR person. What can we do to help? And I was like, um, thanks. Awesome. <laughs> and like, that was it. <laughs> and, you know, now I'm at a point, especially having been through NLC and, and having another, a number of other opportunities since then, um, I absolutely try to keep in touch by email. For a long time, I was using Card Munch when it was still an app that you could use where you like scan the business card and it automatically imports it into LinkedIn. That was such a great app and then they stopped supporting it and it made me sad. Um, LinkedIn is also, I have really, within the last 12 months, uh, realized the power of LinkedIn and that um, it's not just, you know, your really stuffy version of Facebook where, you know, you try not to swear. It really is a very powerful tool to be able to um, find people where you just, you need to connect with them, whether it's a specific company in a particular industry, people with particular skill sets. Um, it's been huge. And I find that um, I get a ton of like just random inquiries about my consultancy and my work that I do based on things that I post on LinkedIn. So it's important to, you know, check on your profile, you know, clean it up, you know, make regular updates because that is what keeps your content fresh on LinkedIn. And that's what gets people seeing you. And that's been such a tremendous, um, tool to help, uh, find and maintain professional, uh, networking relationships. Yeah, that's great. I think that, uh, using technology, social media in particular, but technology in general, like these different apps to track. I actually uh, started using something called Contactually, and I will Ooh. share the uh, the link with you, and I'll also share it in the show notes. And it, um, you put people in buckets to keep track mm -hmm. of. So, you know, you can have uh, your current clients, prospective clients, colleagues, former colleagues. Um, you, you could have a lot of different sort of buckets and for each one, you set a criteria for how often you'd like to be in touch with them from, you know, every two weeks to every two months to once a quarter. And you get a little reminder in your dashboard uh, if that hasn't happened. And so it knows whether you sent an email. And if you connect to your phone, it knows whether you called them or texted them. Um, so it just is a way. I think what's hard is to keep track of the people that are like once a quarter, mm -hmm. you know, just want to check in. And it also gives me a reason to go look to see what they've been up to. Yep. Um, and decide whether this is a good time and, or, or even just to say, I see what you're working on. This sounds great. Congratulations on the award, you know, just to sort of touch base and mm -hmm. sort of keep nurturing those long-term relationships that if, if you don't have a direct project, it is a little bit hard to stay in touch, um, with people. So that's, I think, you know, finding your method, everything from that. And then the other method I've heard a lot, uh, people have told me works. It's just a piece of index card. You write the name of somebody on it. You have a stack of them. Once you've contacted someone, you move their their card to the back of the pile. <laughs> very oh, <wow>. low key. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very very low key, low tech. Um, so I'm not saying it has to be you know um, big 
you know, big apps or big websites, but uh, it is nice to have a plan or else time will pass either way. And yes. some of these, these connections that we make, they're the people that we don't know how we're going to stay connected, but you right. know, it's possible our paths are going to keep crossing and um, you don't want to restart the conversation from scratch each time. You want to be building a relationship as you get to know each other and think about, well, what can I do to support what they're doing? And right. I think you have a shared experience with the people from NLC and now you're part of a national, uh, a national network. Uh, people every year, there's a whole new slew of graduates and that's been going on for a decade now. So when I travel, I actually do reach out and say, hey, I'm going to be in LA, you know, and I, and I've had a chance to like meet with, you know, board members Oh wow! Um, or if I'm, I'm heading to a conference in Chicago, I'll do the same thing. So, yeah, so it's, it's figuring awesome. out how to take advantage of that. Yeah. So if you were uh, to give advice to your younger self, you know, maybe in your mid-20s, you're just sort of getting started with your own, you know, career path. Is there some particular piece of advice, something, you know, one thing that you would encourage yourself to do? to build a strong and supportive professional network? Absolutely. Um, yeah, if I had to go back in time to when I was like 25, I would have told myself, just do it. Like total Shia LaBeouf creepy video on YouTube, just do it, <laughs> flexing and all. Um, because I was so intimidated by, especially when I first um, got started and, and, you know, when my blog kind of became something bigger than myself, I was so intimidated by all, all these different people reaching out to me. Again, there's that self, that imposter syndrome that there was also a lot of self-sabotage happening because it was easier for me to completely walk away from the possibility of an opportunity um, than it was to take that opportunity, take that risk and potentially fail. And I was so scared of that that I, like, it kills me when I go back and I look at emails or just different notes and things that I've taken from those very early years of all these different opportunities that came my way that I just kind of, like, didn't respond to that email or just was like, thanks, and that was it. And I never followed up. And what changed for me was when I realized I really wanted to expand my website and my outreach more. And I was like, oh, I don't have as big a network as I thought I did. So then it was like, now I have to awkwardly go back and reach out to these people that I haven't talked to in two and a half years right, to right. see what kind of relationship I may or may not actually have left with them. Um, so that would be the number one thing I would tell my, my younger self at the start of my professional career is, you know, as much as you hate having to build a network of professional relationships, as much as you hate, you know, pressing palms at conferences just do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for somebody like me too, where I project that I'm an extrovert, but really I'm an introvert who loves her downtime. I think the other thing I would tell myself too is take your, take the necessary self care that you need after, um, you know, things like conferences or networking events Great advice. Where, you're, where you're just exhausted afterwards. I mean, from the physical act of just standing and running around and, you know, being on trade show floors or yeah. just having to, to talk for eight hours to all these different people and, you know, kind of going through your elevator speech and your spiel over and over and over again, just taking that downtime to, to 
really do some some good self care because it it's absolutely exhausting. Yeah. And for people who are introverts, it's it really it it requires a ton of energy just yeah, to be able to get up to the moment to do it. Yeah. You know, I I think that I I've mentioned uh, a few places that I think that there's such a thing as extrovert privilege. Uh, someone mm. like me who's an outgoing extrovert, it's not hard for me to spend a lot of time around people, and I think there's some benefits right. that I get without a lot of effort, and that, which to me equals a privilege, whereas someone who is shy and an extrovert might not feel the same way, or you know, or they're an introvert, and it's just exhausting to be around people. You don't, re- you don't get to replenish. Um, so just recognizing that's really important. I did want to just ask you, though, this, this sort of final wrap-up question, which I love. It's thinking about if you and I were to be catching up a year from now, and you were telling me what a great year it's been. What accomplishments would we be celebrating? Oh, man. Um, I would love to hear that your podcast has been picked up and is nationally syndicated. That would be <laughs> very good news to hear. And hopefully I would be sharing that um, I have regular issue sponsors for each issue of the Infertility Voice. Um, and that, uh, I'm working with some major brands on helping them tell their brand stories, either through, you know, one-time campaigns or through kind of long-term relationships. I think that would be, that would be awesome in a year. Well, I hope that we get a chance to talk between now and then, and also hear the success that you'll be achieving. You've been such amazing things to bring voice to people who really have not been able to share their story of infertility. I know that um, I know people personally that are kind of benefiting from what you're doing. So on their behalf, I want to say thank you. And um, on behalf of all working parents everywhere, I also want to say thank you. It's very inspiring to see that you've continued your advocacy and your business while while handling having a very active two and a half year old. So I wish you all the success in the world. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Robbie. This has been awesome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Keiko Zoll. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. One thing that stood out to me was the importance of sharing your story of struggle and how that helps you find your community. This could be through writing an anonymous blog, creating a compelling video, or telling your story at an open mic night. It will be scary at first, But as you receive messages thanking you for speaking up, you'll begin to see the positive impact your words have in the world. You will also be drawing like-minded people to you who can appreciate your determination and your despair. It's wonderful when you can have a community to celebrate the highs and console you during a low. Take the risk and tell your story of struggle. Another takeaway was the recognition that, especially as a parent of a young child, it can be hard to find time for yourself. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard me ask every guest about what self-care looks like for them. Now, I'm asking you. What does self-care look like for you? When was the last time you took time for yourself? I hope this episode inspires you to book that massage or pedicure, make an appointment with a trainer at the gym, or give yourself permission to eat lunch in solitude while reading a good book. Whatever you need to do to feel revived and ready to take on the world. I'd love to hear how this goes for you. Share your experience in the show notes for episode 17 at ontheschmooze.com. 
Keiko discovered the power of LinkedIn, and as she said, it's not just a really stuffy version of Facebook. I would encourage you to explore how LinkedIn can help you identify people in your network who can help you as you grow your career or business. Fill out your profile so it's clear what you're about and what your experience has been. Post regular updates and interesting links related to your field. To help you keep track of these new contacts you're discovering in LinkedIn, you may want to invest in a CRM. This helps you keep track of who you've been in touch with recently and which contacts are fading. I manage my most important relationships and the ones I hope will be significant using Contactually, a robust CRM perfect for managing my professional network. As an affiliate for Contactually, they're offering my listeners a free 30-day trial. No credit card required. Let me know if you sign up for the free trial and I'll help you get set up for success. Visit Contactually.com slash invite slash schmooze for more details. That's Contactually, C-O-N-T-A-C-T-U-A-L-L-Y dot com slash invite slash schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. For your convenience, I'll add a link to the show notes at onthechmooze.com. Look for episode 17. Well, we've done it again. We've reached the end of another great episode. Thank you so much for listening to On The Schmooze. I wanted to sincerely thank again all of you who've already subscribed and left a rating and review in iTunes. By subscribing and leaving a rating and review in iTunes, you're helping this podcast get discovered by more listeners. Will you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review? Include your Twitter handle in your review so I can give you a shout out. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. That's schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. Thank you in advance and look forward to connecting you next week when I'll be talking about ways to make networking less scary. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.